All right, let's pray one more time, asking God's blessing on the word to us this morning. Our gracious God and Father, thank you for preserving a copy of your holy word for your holy people in our generation. I pray that you would anoint the preaching and teaching of your word and anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to be quickened to obey. Before we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, we have jumped back into a series of messages on followership. If you're not familiar, you're probably more familiar with the term leadership, but it seems to me that the Bible speaks more about followership than it does about leadership. And so last fall, the Lord led me to begin a series of messages on followership. Every once in a while, it's good to stop and ask ourselves, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? And it is good to get your definition and your examples of a Christian from the Bible. So simply put, a Christian is a follower of Jesus Christ. We all know people who claim to be Christian, but when you examine their life, when you look at their lifestyle, you realize it doesn't match up with the biblical definition or the biblical examples of a Christian. But what does it mean then to follow Jesus Christ? Well, it means to imitate his way of life and to obey his teachings. And how do we know what Jesus' way of life was like? And where can we find his teachings? Well, it's in the Holy Bible. And that's where I want to go with you now. So please open your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 1. The book of Acts, chapter 1. It's a New Testament book. Book of Acts, chapter 1. If you have a copy of the Scriptures, maybe there's one on your phone or your tablet, a digital copy, or maybe you, you brought a paper version with you. If you have neither, in front of your chair, the chair in front of you, at the bottom of the chair, there's a rack. There's probably a paperback Bible there that you can use. Open to the book of Acts. I've titled this message, Follow, Wait, and Pray for Power. Follow, Wait, and Pray for Power. It's about some 40 days after the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord spent those precious days teaching his disciples about his kingdom and giving them some specific instructions or commands before his glorious ascension back to heaven. Now, he knew that they were going to be launching his church movement, and just as he commanded them before they needed the power aid of his blessed Holy Spirit. Some of you may have heard that the Reverend Dr. Warren Wearsby went home to be with the Lord recently, May God rest his soul. But in his Bible exposition commentary, he wrote this about the key verse found in Acts 1.8. 
He says this, it explains that the power of the church comes from the Holy Spirit and not from man. But how does the church access the Holy Spirit? How do we access his power? That comes by waiting in prayer. And how do they know to wait in prayer? They were following the command and the example of the Lord. So let's dive into the text. Acts chapter 1. Luke is writing and he says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. Let's stop here because right out of the gate, there are two phrases worth pointing out that relate to our first word, follow. Now, it's a well-known fact that the Apostle Luke, who was a doctor, wrote the book of Acts. His former book that he refers to here is most likely his gospel account, which bears his name. Luke addresses someone named Theophilus, and biblical scholars differ as to whether this was an actual person named Theophilus or a pseudonym for the church at large to which Luke is writing. The name Theophilus is a compound Greek word meaning lover of God. Now notice the next two phrases. Luke said he wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now, why would Luke take such notice of all that Jesus began to do and to teach to the point of writing it down in book form? Think about it. We're talking about the ancient world where books were rare and very, very expensive. Uh, Paper and ink were expensive. Animal skin scrolls were even more expensive. Uh, There were no computers and no printers and no printing press. Luke was obviously moved by the Holy Spirit, but he must have also recognized that the things that he saw Jesus do were no ordinary deeds. And the teaching that he heard come out of Jesus' mouth were no ordinary words. No, they were extraordinary. And so Luke, like all the writers of Scripture, was moved by the Holy Spirit to record the biographies and the teachings they witnessed, forever preserving the Scriptures so that generations would have examples to follow and spiritual insights for daily living. So let me ask a question. How often do you pick up the scriptures to read them for yourselves? I hope it's daily. If only for 10 minutes a day, I hope it's daily. You see, it is impossible to follow our Lord Jesus Christ without reading all the things that he began to do and to teach while he lived here on planet Earth. He was only here for about 33 years, but oh, did he live 
life to its fullest. The old time preachers used to say, sin will keep you from the Bible, but the Bible will keep you from sin. My wife has a few little framed chalkboards up in our home where she writes verses of God's word for our family and friends to see. She really put them there because she wants to meditate on them and, and memorize them, but they are a blessing to all who read them and put them into practice. And then notice the second phrase found in verse 2. He says, after giving instructions. Now, Jesus lived an extraordinary and exemplary life, but he also taught profound truths. He taught profound truths to all who had ears to hear. But then notice what Luke said. Jesus gave his apostles specific instructions. Now, parents, have you ever given your children specific instructions? Instructions? Wives, have you ever given your husbands specific instructions? I, I see some wives waving me down. Yes, I have. Those of you who are supervisors, have you ever given your staff specific instructions? Now, what are you expecting people to do when you give them specific instructions? To follow, right? To do what you've asked them kindly to do, right? Simple. You want them to follow your instructions. Wouldn't life be so much easier if people just followed instructions, right? <laughs> I mean, wouldn't the world be a super happy and peaceful place if only we would follow God's instruction manual for life, right? But no, 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 no. That would be too simple, People have their own ideas, their own wills, and they, I mean, we, we just mess things up by going our own sinful ways, don't we? Well, that's why verse 3 of Acts chapter 1 is there. Look at it. After his suffering, after his suffering which is death by crucifixion, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. I love the way Luke puts it here. Jesus showed himself to these men. Which men? His disciples, some of whom had become apostles. By the way, the word apostle comes from the Greek word meaning sent one, one who was sent, sent to fulfill a task or a mission. Some of you know the old Negro spiritual, children, go where I send thee, how shall I send thee, I'm going to send you one by one, right? You know that little song? It's based on the word apostle. Those of us who are sent by Christ, we are to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. Wouldn't life be so much easier if people just followed instructions, right? And so, this is what Luke is saying that the disciples were to do 
following the instructions of Christ. So anyway, Luke says, Jesus appeared to his disciples on several occasions over these 40 days before he ascended back to heaven. And Jesus was like, here I am. Touch me. Feel my flesh and bones. See and touch my scars so that you might believe. And then he gave them many convincing proofs. Why did he need to do that? Why did Jesus feel the need to do that? Two reasons. Number one, the Jews had floated a lie which spread like a rumor that his body was stolen by his disciples. That's one reason the disciples were hiding in fear of the Romans and the Jews. Jesus wanted them to know without a shadow of a doubt that nobody had stolen his body. He had literally, physically risen from the dead. Number two, Jesus had given them a very critical mission which rested on the essential foundation of his resurrection. Jesus knew that there was no way in the world that they would ever have the courage or the motivation to preach the gospel unless, unless they knew without a doubt he had conquered death and hell just as he said he would by rising from the grave. Now notice what Jesus also spoke to his apostles about. End of verse 3. He spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And once again, we see Jesus faithfully preparing his men to send them out on his mission, to continue following him, doing and teaching what he began to do and to teach, to make disciples and to plant churches. Verse 4, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now those of you familiar with your Bibles remember another scripture passage in John's gospel where Jesus prepared his disciples for his absence. He said, listen brothers, I got to go back to heaven, I got to go back to the Father, but relax, do not be afraid, don't be afraid, I got you. I will pray and ask the Father to send you another comforter to be with you forever. So Jesus gave them a reminder in the form of a command now. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait. It was a twofold command. One negative, don't leave, and one positive, but wait. Don't leave, but wait. So why do you think Jesus felt the need to compel them to stay in Jerusalem? Because he knew that they would probably be looking to get as far away from Jerusalem as possible. Why? Well, the disciples were most likely being hunted down by the Roman and Jewish officials because of their relationship to Jesus, who you remember 40 days earlier had just received capital punishment and whose body was now missing from the Roman sealed and heavily guarded tomb. So now the Romans are embarrassed because remember they send a detachment of soldiers to guard the tomb and they sealed it with the governor's seal. 
And then suddenly, the tomb is empty, Jesus is gone. It's an embarrassment to the Romans and trouble for the Jews. And so, you talk about facing their fears. Despite knowing the fact that the disciples were being hunted and they were probably holding up in the upper room, huddled together, knees knocking, jaws shaking. Jesus gave them a command which forced them to face their fears. Perhaps that is the reason, one of the reasons behind this command for the disciples to not leave Jerusalem as they probably would have for fear of their lives, but to wait in Jerusalem. Who among us does not deal with daily fears? What will happen to me in my marriage? What's going to happen with me and my children, my job, my finances, my health, my... You fill in the blank. Never assume the Lord doesn't know your deepest fears. Never doubt his intimate knowledge of your situation when he gives you a command that seems crazy to you. I mean, put yourself in the disciples' shoes for a minute. The guy that you thought was going to take over the world, kick the Romans' butt, kick him out of town, reestablish the Israeli Jewish kingdom, he gets brutally crucified and we're probably next. So they're filled with fear. And Jesus says to them, wait in the city where you're being hunted. Hello? Crazy. Jesus, up late last night, probably not feeling too well, said something he shouldn't have said to us. Maybe he meant go someplace else and wait, not Jerusalem. Never assume the Lord doesn't know your deepest fears. Never doubt his intimate knowledge of your situation when he gives you a command that seems crazy to you. But isn't that precisely what we do when we read some of his commands to us? We tend to rationalize our disobedience, don't we? We think to ourselves, well, he don't know the fear I'm feeling right now. He just don't know my situation. He must not know my situation. So I'm taking a pass on this command. This is for other Christians who are in, better, in a be much better place than I am right now. Amen. God bless them. This command is for them. It's not for me because if he knew what I was going through, he wouldn't have given me that command. If he knew how I was feeling, that command would not have been given to me. In the three years the disciples had been following Jesus, he proved to be their rock, their miracle worker, and their comforter. He fed the 5,000 with two fish, five loaves, right? He healed people from sickness and diseases that had never been healed before. And he even raised people from the dead. He spoke to the wind and the waves and calmed the stormy seas of Lake Galilee. 
They just knew that this was the coming Messiah who would set up the earthly kingdom and overthrow the wicked Roman occupation and they would reign and rule with him forever. But when he surrendered in the garden 40 days earlier, all their hopes and dreams were dashed. And they all fled for their lives except two, Peter and John, who followed him at a distance into the courtyard of the high priest, where, as you know, Peter denied him three times before the rooster crowed. And now here Christ is again reminding them that his kingdom is not of this world, at least not how they had imagined it would be. And he's leaving them behind to launch his church and to, in so doing, they would establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. But they couldn't do it alone. Neither individually nor corporately could they do it alone. They needed another divine, supernatural power source. And that was who they were commanded to wait for. The blessed Holy Spirit. He was the gift promised by God the Father. They were to be baptized with the Holy Spirit just as they were baptized by John with water. You see, while Jesus was with them, he was not only their rock and miracle worker and comforter, he was their divine power source. But now that he was leaving, he knew they needed another divine power source to empower them to fulfill his mission. Remember the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel in Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6? Not by might, nor by your power, nor by your power, nor might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It is not by your power, not by your might. The Lord says it's by my spirit. By my spirit, says the Lord. Christian, in whose power are you trying to live the Christian life? In whose power are you trying to fulfill your role as Christian husband, father, mother, child, deacon, elder, Sunday school teacher, media team member, music ministry team member? In whose power are you trying to live the Christian life? Is it in your power? Your strength? How's it working out for you? <laughs> how, how is that working out for you? Church, in whose power are we trying to fulfill our mission, which is his mission? To go into all the world and make disciples preaching and teaching the gospel. At any point we are failing, it would be wise to stop and ask the question, are we filled with the Holy Spirit's power? Are we operating in his strength, in his wisdom, in his direction? Now, after everything Jesus had taught and commanded them to do, watch this, verse 6. This is incredible. It's actually a little comical. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? <sighs> I could just see Jesus. 
I could hear him sighing. Like, really? That's the question you're going to ask me right now after all I've done, talked to you, after all I try to make plain? Really? So he said to them, none of your business. That's the Michael Allen translation. None of your business. He said, it's not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by his own authority. Are you kidding me? They still didn't get it. They were still focused on the earthly kingdom. Jesus was like, that is none of your cotton-picking business. That's the Father's business. Pay attention to the business at hand that I have entrusted to you. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. As I said a moment ago, the disciples were focused on an earthly kingdom where presumably they would rule and reign with Christ with earthly power and authority. And so Jesus redirected them away from the earthly Israeli kingdom, but assured them that they would have the power and authority that they craved. Oh, you better know that the disciples craved power and authority. You remember, long before the cross, they were asking, they were fighting among themselves, right? One of them, two brothers even sent their mom to go ask Jesus, hey, when you come into your kingdom, uh, uh, could, could my boys, like, get a... a a throne, right, one on the left and one on the right? Can you believe that? Sent their mom to go butter up Jesus. Golly. These guys were a piece of work. <laughs> okay? Just like all of us. Just like all of us. We are a piece of work, y'all. And we need Jesus. <laughs> Lord, do we need him? Somebody help me. Lord, have mercy. Jesus said, you're going to get some power all right. Make no mistake about it. You will receive power and authority, but it's not going to be the power and authority that you've been craving to kick butt against the Romans and to kick him out of Israel. That's not the power and that's not the structural power and authority of the kingdom that I'm thinking about. You're going to receive power when the Spirit comes on you, and don't miss this, and then you will be my witnesses. See, that in large part is the purpose of the divine power. The Holy Spirit is given to every believer to empower us for Christian living. And the purpose for Christian living out our Christian lives on earth is to be a living witness to those who are lost. The walking dead who are dead in their trespasses and sins. See, nobody's saved without the power of the Holy Spirit at work through a living witness, a personal testimony. 
No Christian witness is effective without the illuminating and saving power of the Holy Spirit. Now watch this. Don't miss this. I'm not one to put limitations on God and what he can and can't do. But I do know that God usually works within the limitations he has set for himself. And it seems to me what Luke is trying to say is that the Christian will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on them. And when that happens, the Christian will be Christ's witness. In other words, God set up. He set us up to work willingly with the Holy Spirit in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. There is something that only the Holy Spirit can do and must do in order to accomplish God's mission to a lost world. But there's also something that every Christian must do or be, and that is this. We must be willing we must be a willing vessel, a willing conduit of the Holy Spirit, a channel through which, a vessel in which the Holy Spirit is able to work. So it's a very simple concept, but I think a lot of Christians are missing it. The reason that Christ has sent the Holy Spirit to his church is so that we might be filled with his power to live out the Christian life, and in living out the Christian life, our words and our deeds make disciples of non-Christians that they may become Christians, are baptized and added to the church. That is our mission. That is the only reason that we are here on planet Earth as Christians. Think about it. I say this all the time. All you Trekkies, pay attention. This is for you. Star Trek, favorite part of every show, beam me up, Scotty. Right? You remember that? We get stuck in the jam. Our guys get stuck in the jam on some faraway planet. And Starship Enterprise is hovering over somewhere, and the bad guys are coming to get them. They take out the flip phone, right? They didn't even have smartphones back then. They had a flip phone. Take out the flip phone, doot, doot, doot. Beam me up, Scotty. And they dematerialize and rematerialize on Spaceship Enterprise, and off they go. Bad guys are left behind, right? Why is it that when we get saved, God doesn't just... Beam me up, Scotty. Beam me up, Jesus. Why doesn't he just beam us right to heaven the moment we say amen to the sinner's prayer and we're saved? There's only one reason. There's only one reason that you and I are left on planet Earth after receiving the gospel and being filled with the Holy Spirit. One reason. The only reason is to fulfill the mission that Christ has for his church. Which is, according to the scripture we read earlier, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, therefore all power and authority, again, Jesus is reminding us we do have power. He has conferred upon us power and authority like every disciple wants to have. 
but it is not to establish some earthly kingdom. It is power and authority to establish his kingdom, to populate his kingdom. And the church, in a sense, really, is his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Because in heaven, red, yellow, black, and white, rich, poor, middle class. So his church is to reflect the realities of heaven. There is unconditional love. There is forgiveness. There is peace. There is joy. The fruit of the Spirit is at work in heaven as it is supposed to be at work here in our lives in the church. And when the world sees the church living and acting on earth as it is in heaven, they come running. They want to know. They're scratching their heads, want to know, how in the world do these people get along down here? How do they, how do, they do it? How is it that rich people, poor people, black people, white, you know, red, yellow, black, and white, rich, poor, middle class, Democrats, Republican, how can they all get along and actually do something constructive together in this world? Because of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, focusing us, energizing us, mobilizing us on the one mission that he's given us, to preach the gospel and to make disciples. That's it. That's the only reason we're here. Otherwise, we would be in heaven. There's something that every Christian must do and be. We must be willing, a willing vessel, a willing conduit through which the Holy Spirit of God empowers us for the mission to which we have been called or sent to fulfill. So we must determine in our hearts to be willing to allow the Spirit of God to fill us over and over and over again to be used by him to be his witnesses, right? And throughout the book of Acts, we find this recurring idea. Acts chapter 2, verse 4, we read this. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues. Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke boldly to the rulers and leaders of the people. Acts chapter 4, verse 31, after they had prayed, they, uh, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. Acts chapter 9, verse 17, when Saul was persecuting the church, and, and God had locked him, uh, knocked him to the ground and blinded him, Ananias laid hands on him so that Saul might be healed of his blindedness and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we should all know that it was only after Saul had been healed and filled with the Holy Spirit that he became the legendary apostle Paul. Wiersbe says about this verse that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is not a luxury, it is a necessity. So UBC saints, I wonder this morning how many of us are filled with the Holy Spirit? Maybe you've been running on empty for some time and you don't even realize it because you've been operating in your own strength, your own power. Maybe we as a collective need to be filled once again with the Holy Spirit's power so that we can experience what the saints in the book of Acts experienced. Power for the salvation of souls and the growth of the church and the glory of God. So, okay, how does this happen? Look at it, verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. A cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. 
when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you've seen him go up into heaven. And then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. And those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, son of James. And they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. The disciples were once again distracted from their mission. Did you notice that? As Christ was bodily lifted up from, from them above the Mount of Olives, ascending back to heaven, they froze in wonder and amazement, gazing at him like they didn't have anything else to do. And so the Lord had to send an angel to snap their fingers in their faces to say, look, get back on track to following the instructions the Lord just gave you these last 40 days. And finally, they obeyed the Lord's instructions. They did not leave Jerusalem, but they went down the Kidron Valley, down the slopes of the Mount of Olives, across the Kidron Valley, back up into the city of Jerusalem, gathered in that upper room, perhaps the same one in which the Lord served the Last Supper and ate with them before his crucifixion. And what did they do there? They waited. Remember he told them, don't leave Jerusalem, but what? Wait. So they followed his instructions. They waited. And what did they do while they waited? Played tiddlywinks? Played checkers? Played ping pong? I don't know, maybe they did some of that, I don't know. But that wasn't important to mention. It says that they prayed. They waited in prayer together for the anointing power of the Holy Spirit. And verse 14 is one of the most intentional, complex, run-on sentences in the Bible, which focuses on the importance of praying together as a church. Let's look at it, and then we're through. It says, they, not just one, but they, and then it says all, they all, and then it says joined. In other words, they came together, and then the word together is there again. They all joined together constantly, not whenever they felt like it, not when the bulls and bears and Cubbies and socks weren't playing. It says they joined together constantly in prayer. And then it says this, along with. In other words, the they is not yet complete. They all join together constantly in prayer along with the women. And not just the women, but they made special mention of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and, oh, by the way, also Jesus' brothers. Did you know Jesus had brothers and sisters? 
they all join together. I'm just going to close with a call for us to reconsider the importance of waiting on God in prayer together. I'm going to ask those of you who normally do not come together with us on Wednesday night prayer to redouble your efforts, recalculate your thinking, and realize that the power of the church is when we wait together in prayer. The anointing of the Holy Spirit's power. If we want to see these empty seats filled with worshipers, newly saved, baptized believers, it's going to take us coming together. And just to illustrate this, I've done this once before, but many of you weren't here. If I told you I was really strong, do you think that I could by myself lift this piano and move it down there? Anybody think I'm, I'm strong enough to do it? Oh, y'all don't have faith? Y'all don't have faith? You don't see these muscles? Huh? 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 Where's the faith, people? Where's the faith? Can't do it. Can you help me? Let's see what we can do. Can't do it. Nosa, help me out. Help us out, Nosa. Let's see if we can do it. Okay, see, Danny came. Okay. All right, let's see if we can do it. Oh, okay, we're going somewhere. But see, here's the point. When we come together, there is no thing, no power, there is no roadblock, there is nothing that can keep us from fulfilling the mission that God has called us to do, if we come together, if we come together. The problem is, me and a handful of people every Wednesday are over here trying to lift this church into mission. And we can't do it by ourselves. We need more of you to run up to the rescue and to say, you know what, Pastor? I'm getting off early on Wednesday night. I'm clicking off the TV on Wednesday night. I'm going to be, if at if it all possible, if I have it within my power, I'm going to strive to be with my church family on Wednesday night when the church gathers together to wait on God for the outpouring of his spirit to do the mission. We can't do it without you. We've been trying, but it's been an act of futility. And I want to remind us today as I close that this business of prayer is real. And it's powerful. And the Holy Spirit is waiting on us. 
And we're the one that's supposed to be waiting together on him. We can do it with a dolly, he says. Yes. Danny, go sit down. Just ruin my illustration. Just ruin my illustration. Danny, remind me not to give you the microphone next time, not to be close to the microphone. God has not ordained us to lift the heavy things in spiritual warfare and this mission with a dolly. My wife is, is mouthing to me, the dolly is the Holy Spirit. Somehow, I mean, God, think about it. God... Again, we don't put any limitations on God except what he limits himself to. God could, if he wanted to, we believe he has the power, all power and authority, if he wanted to, snap his fingers and the world would be saved. He could have ordained that that's the way it should work. He could have aligned the stars up in heaven to read, world, I love you, sign God. But that's not how he ordained for the things to be. He ordained for you and I, once we have received the message of the gospel and believed on Christ and received the power of the Spirit, he has ordained us to be his witnesses, filled with his Spirit. He has called us together, not just on Sunday morning to worship, but regularly to come together to pray and to be filled again and again and again and again and then go out to do the work of the Spirit. So let me ask you, please, reconsider your schedule for the week. There are only two services we have here, Sunday morning and Wednesday night. Two-thirds of you are missing on Wednesday night. And, and if we want to grow as a church, if we want to have the most positive impact and do our maximum capacity that God has for us, we need more of you participating with us. So that's the word, that's the action point, the application for you as we close this message this morning. Let us stand as we pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. This is God's time to re receive worship and glory from those who have heard the word of God in response to the word of God. What is God saying to you today? Are you satisfied? in your current engagement and involvement in the mission of the church? Is there anything more that you could do within the strength and power of the Holy Spirit that is given to you to join us? Is it too much to ask for one hour in the middle of the week 6.30 to 7.30, is that too much to ask for God 
and his kingdom? I can't answer that for you. And I realize that I'm here. Some of you are saying, yeah, Pastor, you're paid to be good. You're here. You're paid to be here. And you're correct. That's, I feel that way sometimes. There's sometimes that I myself don't feel like being here on Wednesday night. But I can testify to this. Every time I come and submit myself to the Holy Spirit's leading and filling, I am strengthened and renewed and encouraged. And I see the body of believers here on Wednesday night also encouraged. But we're not satisfied. And there's more that we could do. And there's more that God has for us to do. But we need you. So, Father, I pray that you would seal these words in our hearts and then, again, give us the will. Make us willing vessels, willing conduits of your Holy Spirit to come together for the purpose, the one purpose, the only purpose for which we are still here. And that is to proclaim the good news of the gospel until you come. In Jesus' name, amen.